This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Henderson, who is an executive advisor for Cap Gemini. So, Liz, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. It's a pleasure. So, before we get into it, obviously, we just need to make sure we're following some T's and C's. So, the, anything we discuss today is all Liz's own views and not uh, nothing related to to kind of Cap Gemini. So, we just wanted to to kind of be clear on that front. Um, but Liz, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this point, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, of course. I had an interesting career because when I left school, I was going to say when I started work, yeah, when I started work or left school, the data career didn't exist. That kind of puts me in a, an age group that I probably shouldn't mention, but hey, it doesn't matter. So I've had a winding career with a theme of numbers and numeracy. I enjoyed maths at school, and then I went on to do an apprenticeship for a building society. Didn't like that. And actually, when I think back about it, it was all about data. It was little cards with names and addresses on, and they were to do with the share save scheme. And I was having to sit and type each name and address into the database. So my career started with data without me even realizing it and the accuracy and the importance of it. Then I went on to do my accountancy exams and got became not qualified, but quickly became aware that accountancy repeats everything every month. It gets pretty dull after a few years of doing that. So then took a complete diversion into pub management. Learned how to drink a lot with the yeah. regulars. <laughs> at, least, at least you had an excuse. I can do that all on my own back. So. <laughs> yeah, I spent a couple of years doing relief management. So whenever a, a manager went on holiday, I'd cover their pub for a couple of um, weeks. Great opportunity. Absolutely love the lifestyle, but you can't do that forever. But because of the analytical side of that, managing stock, managing staff, I then got into, into analytics and then my data career took off and just progressed through a various number of companies to become a chief data and analytics officer. And now I enjoy doing speaker engagements, podcast guest, uh, panel guest, things like that. And I've got a blog that I've been running for about nine years all around data. So, yeah, nice. it's led on to some pretty exciting stuff, which I could never have imagined when I left school. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the transition from from the pub to an executive advisor at Capgemini is, uh, sounds pretty impressive when you say it out loud. So, <laughs> so well done. But I guess on that note, just to touch briefly, obviously, um, just give the guests a, a kind of slight insight into what you actually do at Cap and I guess what you're responsible for, for delivering for them. Yeah, absolutely. I work with a number of clients because I like the, the mix of different clients in different sectors. And I'm there to support and guide them, really, just to give them a bit of advice and guidance and advice on their data initiatives. 
where are they wanting to go? Why are they wanting to go in that direction? And what kind of insight and advice I can give them from the mistakes I've made in my career so they don't they make those same mistakes. So, for example, one client at the moment is struggling with adoption for their new data mesh approach. And we were working together to understand how we can build that adoption through what I've learned in my career. Because something I learned very early on is about change management and how important that is. I had a bad experience, which shaped my view of people first and change management. I was pulled into a project team and we were changing the way we were going to do things. We ended up having weekly meetings, sat in hotel rooms, this nice group of people in the chairs talking to each other. All that came out of it was a couple of folders, big lever arch folders that were put in the shelf, in the cupboard, on the top shelf, left there. Nobody ever touched them. Nobody ever looked at them. Why do we need to change the way we operate? Because the system hadn't changed. We could still work in the same old way. And why would we want to go and try and learn something new when the system that we knew how to use straight away was just still there? And that is just, for me, such an example of bad change management that it's why I do things properly or encourage people to do things properly nowadays, because that's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, the whole change management piece is so important. I think, unfortunately, most organizations and the the industry as as a collective has probably learned the hard way, like, you know, your experience shaped shaped your thought process now right which is uh which is unfortunate so i guess given you know the lack of success and all of the research out there by gartner and you know all of the other big research players that you know states 80 odd percent of most data analytics initiatives don't add the value that they were intended to add and normally that you know comes back around to some kind of um relation to people change management changing human beings and behaviors etc how true do you understand that that kind of theme to be and what what do you think the kind of possible reasons are for that resistance occurring it's built into our dna we don't like change we fear change is that fight or flight so why would we do anything that's going to initiate that fight or flight response? And unfortunately, that's the problem. Any data migration, digital transformation, any change that organizations want to make, and they do a lot of it, they're not thinking about what's inbuilt into people, their default response. So you really need to support them. I worked with one company and somebody said to me, we don't like things being done to us. And that was a really interesting statement because they'd got consultants coming in and they were changing things and they were just making that change. So that got that project got a whole spun round and we had the client leading the project and client leading the change while we supported them. And that meant the client was bought in in every step because they saw one of their own people leading it. And it works much, much better. You have to bring people along. And that kind of links into the title, doesn't it, Carl, that data is a people sport. If you don't bring your people with you, and that's what's happened. The failure around these data initiative is just proven by the stats. It's Mm. all about people, people first, really important. Yeah. How do you then identify who to pick on the inside of of those kind of initiatives in terms of letting the people lead the change and, and transformation? 
not an easy question because <laughs> you no doubt have to upskill people. There's not mm-hmm. going to be somebody there ready to take on that challenge. If there was, why would we be there as consultants? So it's a case of working with their influences. Every organization has key influences within that organization. So which ones of those are best suited to lead this initiative to influence the wider organization? What skills are they missing? Where's the gap? How can we support them and upskill them and help them become more efficient and effective change managers? Mm, that makes sense. I guess people that hold some weight within the organization that people will follow because they respect them or you know they're a key player or whatever the case may be yeah that makes that makes sense i guess that in reality as with probably everything in our industry is easier said than done right you know identifying the people that that kind of shape and influence others fine i guess from a perspective of them being willing to do that is there anything that you've kind of you know done or seen or witnessed in your career that allows you to kind of get those people that you really need on side on side it's back to the whole what's in it for me now if you've got an influencer they probably like the spotlight they probably like the visibility so helping and supporting their colleagues to move forward and the business to move forward to be successful is going to generate a lot of visibility for them and if that's what excites them and flicks their switch that's the driver that you work on and how you promote them within the business to get that visibility and potentially there could be a promotion or a pay rise or whatever is their motivator and we know we all have different motivators yeah absolutely yeah so it's about identifying the people with influence and then allowing them to understand what's in it for them by becoming a champion or whatever other term we'd use around this stuff right yeah okay perfect makes makes perfect sense i guess i'm keen to explore the kind of relationship between people and culture because they're often you know they are intrinsically linked you know more times than than they're not for sure um and obviously we know that data is a people sport it's absolute you know and an element of success to successful data transformation is it a cultural thing in your opinion is this whole thing cultural or is it does it go more granular than than that interesting question because I don't think you can get a mature culture without the people evolving and developing their skills. If I think back three or four years, every conference, every panel, they're all talking about how do we get that data culture? How do we mature that data culture? It was the buzzword, a bit like data mesh yesterday. You couldn't go anywhere without people talking about it. But it's taken three, four, five years to get to the point today where we start to understand that data literacy plays a key part in helping our people to become more competent with data, and that matures the culture. And it's around the beliefs, the behaviours, it's the things you can't see. We all talk about the company culture and how good it is, or not, in some (laughs) organisations. But that data culture is just as important, and having that permeating through the organisation rather than just in small pockets of wherever they do it well or not so well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in many organizations for understanding where they are now with their data culture and where they want to be and what they need to do. You get a lot of organizations with their regular monthly, quarterly surveys to saying, how well are we doing? How do you feel? Do you think the company's looking after you? Do they ever ask about the data? 
and do you trust the data you use? I've never yet seen an organization ask, do you trust the data you use? Mm. And that, for me, is a really key thing for an organization to understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's an interesting point to think about. I'm just thinking of all the times I've taken those surveys as well. And um, yeah, no one's, yeah, never, never had uh, been asked uh, been asked that question so i guess broadly speaking then because as you said you know the the whole creating a data-driven culture or whatever buzzword we're, we're using at that point in time um is, is that a case of it needs to be tackled holistically as a cultural problem or do you see this as if you can just start to at a more granular level start to get the people on side with what what you're doing and how you're doing it that kind of then you know um perpetrates out and just that that then becomes the culture right because I, th- I sometimes wonder whether we look at this so far zoomed out right you know it's like we, we need to change the culture and that's a really kind of flippant thing to say right you know there's there's kind of components to this that um if you you know you almost have to go deeper than that to, to, for that culture to, for, to then be reflected of, of the people right i think it's both sides you need the senior management, the leadership, to develop that culture at that level and to be acting in the right way, to be using the data in the right, right way, the host behaviours, those beliefs, to say, we're going to use the data. We're going, what is the data telling us? Mm. One of the key things about do we have a data culture or do we have high levels of data literacy is asking that or hearing that question being asked, what is the data telling us? And I'm not aware of many organisations that actually ask that question. So if you've got your CEO and your exec board asking that question, that starts to build that culture from top down. What is the data telling us? They're asking their heads of directors who are then asking their analysts, et cetera, et cetera. So then you're starting to build it from the bottom up. What is that detail that we need to do and how do we need to communicate that level of detail to help us understand what the data is telling us? And how we can use it and how would that information reflect on our business objectives so although we've got this information and we've developed these results do they actually contribute to the business ambitions that we've got in our business strategy and if you take it from both ends at some point you will meet in the middle and you will start to understand from the bottom where you're actually going and from the top what's needed at a lower level to be able to understand our data and use our data more effectively and that starts to open up gaps or we haven't got a system that um, visualizes it in that way or we need some training in x y and z or whatever it might be some of the key training elements at the moment is storytelling training i'm coming across and that contributes to the maturity of your data culture and data literacy but i've also heard an md recently say why do we need to teach our people soft skills when they join our company they'll have soft skills uh, at what point in your career do you learn soft skills? You don't. Mm. Everybody teaches you hard skills. And we really need to help our people understand what a soft skill is and mature those soft skills. And it all just, it, it's bits and pieces that just need to connect and mature over time. It's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that statement in, in of itself is is crazy, right? <laughs> you, I think, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're kind of either born with that or you're not and if you're not then you know definitely there's ways to improve and upskill yourself in that but as you said there's very few organizations i mean 
as you'd expect in our line of work, Liz, right? You know, the amount of um, people that we've helped organizations to hire and then you have catch-up calls later down the line. It's like absolutely brilliant technically, um, you know, communication. And I was like, well, did you interview based on communication? No, you interviewed on how good they were at coding in Python. Right. So, so what, what are you now expecting? You know, um, so it's really interesting. I'm not to say it's not important, but it, it is, it is really interesting. I guess one thing that's always fascinated me, and I'd love to get your view on this is that obviously that top down and then bottom up approach to me in the middle. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. What are the key differences that you say see play out in reality? Because the way I look at this is that, you know, for a C for a CEO or a board or whatever the case may be, obviously the the impact that data can have on them on a more personal career perspective um, can be great, right? Can be huge because you know their their job is there to increase revenue or reduce cost or you know it's some big kind of big number, big meaty metric that becomes really obvious and, and plays an influential part for the business users often and this you know i'm not here saying that people don't care about the companies they're working for but you know if they're trying to if, if we're trying to change how they're operating and they might have been operating the same way for the last 20 years and the only metric that they get told about is that you know it will help the business to make more money but it also then increases their workload or you know they've got to then start jumping through hoops and do things differently you then get into this of well as you said, what's in it for them, right? So how, how do you get to that point of trying to understand a, um, you know, more on the user level of really what's important for these people and how you can make that change stick with within the realms of their day-to-day existence? That for me all comes down to having a data strategy. Because if you've got your data strategy, you will have examined the business strategy. You will understand where data enables the achievement of those business strategy objectives and then you can flow that down now the challenge is you don't want objectives that flow from the top downwards because i don't think any organization has ever mastered that (laughs) but if people have an understanding so for example i'm trying to pick an example where the organization won't be recognized (laughs) so um dates on a i don't know dates on a policy or dates on an invoice or something. Yeah, let's use dates on a policy. If those dates on a policy are within the right area, the right kind of time scale, then that's information that can be used at the lower level people the, with the analysts to understand what needs to be done. So you've got your data analytics around, let's analyze the policies and let's check whether the dates are all within the right time scales. That ultimately rolls up to what we want to achieve with our risk in our business strategy. But the analysts don't need to understand the risk. They don't need to understand that higher level objective because they are understanding their element of it. It might be several people or several departments that are involved in delivering what's needed to achieve that business strategy um, objective. And that element of your data strategy would be taking your big steps, rolling them down and working them out into big phases and next steps and just taking it down into actionable roadmaps and actionable plans that can be be delivered by specific people. I often find on data strategies, they're very high level with 
principles of we will treat data well, we will assess our data needs, we will all have good data literacy. Okay, great. But what actually are you going to do about it? And the data strategy doesn't contain any, by the end of April, Sarah will have delivered these programs to these 20 people. That concrete information doesn't exist in a data strategy. And that's why I don't think many are very successful or many exist. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I think what, what I always think about that fascinates me and i've got a, a gazillion examples of this in my world but i won't bore the audience to tears but you know you get every organization says people are our biggest asset right and that's that's kind of a, a standard work line that, that you know every business says whether they mean it or not is a completely different story but typically their behavior or behaviors suggest otherwise right you know as an example um most organizations will spend have spent or will be spending or plan to spend millions of pounds dollars euros whatever the currency on some kind of data program transformation strategy etc um but very rarely the whole change management piece around their people gets any investment at all what why why do you think that is it's really interesting because for me, assets are your people, your buildings, and your data. They're your three assets that you can't run a business without. If you didn't have a building and you didn't have the facilities team looking after your building, well, nobody would come and sit in it and work in it, and it probably wouldn't be fit for health and safety. You wouldn't be allowed to use it. With your people, we spend money recruiting, as you know, and you're in the business, recruiting them. We're making sure we've got the right person that we recruit, as long as we ask the right questions in the interview. Um, we then go on to develop them and performance manage them. So we make sure they're doing their objectives. And each year we say, how have you performed? And we might give them some hard skills training to make sure they continue to develop across the organization. But that's as much as we do with our people. With our data assets, we actually don't do anything. Many companies often say, oh, we've not got a data problem. Everything runs fine. Why do we need to do data quality? Because the business is operating fine. It's all those hidden activities that they don't know about. Um, one organization was running so slowly with their invoicing procedure that the customer services team could go in and amend all the names and addresses for all the invoices before they went out. They were doing a digital transformation, which meant it would be seconds or light speed that the invoices went out. There was no way anybody was going to interact and change the addresses. But they didn't think they had a data quality problem until they started to understand and really lift the covers on the challenges of moving to the new system they were going to move to. So treating your people and your data as assets is understanding what happens, more of what the problems are, what are the problems they're covering up. And how do you actually uncover those challenges? And that, for me, is a key role of a chief data and analytics officer or chief data officer to go into each of the teams. How are you doing? What's your business problems? What do your staff do? And not just talking to the head off, but actually spending time with the people that do the work on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It's probably not answering your question, but just sharing some experience. Yeah. No, I guess how... Out of all of the data strategies that you've seen, and I'm not too sure how many that is, Liz, it could be it could be a lot or it could be 
not enough because <laughs> not enough businesses don't have a, a a data strategy. I'm not too sure, but I guess within the realms of the data strategies that you have seen, how many of them have any kind of clear focus or narrative around what they're going to do in regards to their people and the implementation of that strategy? An easy one. No. <laughs> none. None at all. I've seen quite a few and I've seen samples from people's training that they use from big organisations. And they're all very pretty. They can go up to 100 pages, which it, for me is ridiculous. I'm very much an advocate of Gartner's one-page strategy. It's that one page you take away that means a lot. And then you have the detail around the outside on the other pages. You don't need a strategy that's 100 pages with lots of pictures. It has to have something around an operating model. Who's doing what? What are their responsibilities? How are we going to achieve what we want to achieve? And pinning it down to really solid, actionable next steps with dates and people on point to deliver those things. That, for me, is what a strategy should be about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've you know, been more than vocal about all of this stuff on platforms like LinkedIn, right, where I've said, you know, you can have, not that many do, by the way, but you can have the best data in the world. You can have the slickest tech set up you know the best tools but ultimately it's all underpinned by the caliber and capability of the people that you need to use that data in the right ways and them having that that knowledge and experience etc right which always baffles me why um you know that most organizations just completely neglect that that side of the of the strategy so obviously we've identified what's not in the strategy <laughs> um talk to us about kind of some of the main data strategy kind of implementation challenges that you do see then in terms of what they are focusing on where then you know it becomes a struggle i can just add a little bit to your last comment about they can have the best data in the world one organization i worked with did genuinely have a pot of gold with their data there was nobody else in the industry that had data like them yet their immaturity meant they sold it so they gave away their data at a really low price because they didn't have the understanding and experience I mean, Amazon don't sell data because they know how valuable it is. And this organization sold so much data that actually their competitors and customers were generating insights and they just lost that valuable gold asset that they had. So, yeah, people do some very silly things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, implementation challenges. You've been reading my blog, haven't you? You've been delving Um, around in it. I have been guilty of having a quick look in preparation. Yep. So data strategy, having one, is really important. What I'm finding a trend for at the moment is siloed data strategies. So for me, you have your business strategy. You have one business strategy, which provides a direction for business. So you want one data strategy that provides a direction for the business on data. But what's happening is we're having a HR data strategy, a finance data strategy, a supply chain data strategy, and like, You're all doing things differently. You all want different technology. God knows what your architecture, let alone your processes and operations, are going to be like when you've all done your own sweet thing, which one is going to cost an awful lot of money. And two, how are you going to be interoperable? If we go to this world of data products and sharing data, if HR do one thing one way and finance do it another, how on earth are you going to understand who's paid what and how often they're paid if you can't put the two sets of data together? So That's an interesting one. Having that exec sponsorship, it's really important having that board buy-in for what you want to do because you can create the best strategy in the world. 
if you've not got senior leadership, say you've not got a CDO, you can still create a data strategy, but you still need that senior leadership to advocate and support the change. Because ultimately, as we've said, data initiatives are all about change. And if you're going to change the organisation, you really need that to come from the top down. Otherwise, you've got no hope of doing organisational change from the bottom up. Then there's the whole challenge about IT driving data. IT see these lovely, fantastic, take data mesh, for example. That's got IT really excited. But if it's IT driving that initiative or even any data strategy, you've got that for me is a real red flag waving because you haven't got the business input. The business own the data. The business are responsible for it. IT work with the business. You need to be collaborating together to do it. You cannot do it on your own. IT have found that many, many times. Uh, One organization I worked with, four years prior to me working with them, they bought a data quality solution. And they turned around to me, and they'd been paying for this membership for four years. And they turned around to me and said, well, it's not worked. Why should we do data quality? The business are not interested. We've asked them for rules, and they just don't give us data rules. Well, if you're just going to ask somebody for a data rule, How do they know what it's for? How do they know what the data is? Why would they give you a rule? Why would they work with you if all you're saying is, give me a rule? You need to be working together and actually it belongs to them. And it was converting the IT team into a more business-focused approach. They still couldn't get their head around. They were a service department supporting the business. They thought they owned everything and they should lead everything. And they were very much command and control, which, yeah, ends in tears in my view. Mm. So, yeah, it's got to be business and IT working together. Um, Another thing, back to the change management, the fear, anything around a data strategy and data strategy implementation initiates that fear, that change. I don't understand what's going on. How do people understand what you're doing is relatable to them? So you need to make data relatable. You can easily say, oh, yeah, we need to sort out all the dates on our invoices. What does that mean to somebody? Now, if you say Sarah and Fred in customer services are working to correct all the names and addresses for our customers, it's taken us three months, it's cost us £30,000, and that could equate to a team lunch every Friday for the next six months. It then starts to become relatable. And you can say, well, if we spent an extra 30 seconds on each field just checking what we're typing in, we could have a team lunch for the next six months. And it's that. It's the apple, isn't it? It's the what's in it for me? How can I benefit if I just spend a little bit more time getting things right the first time instead of just saying, well, we need to correct all this data and people don't understand the reasons behind where the issues started or how to prevent further issues in the future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess one thing you mentioned earlier was around the executive sponsorship from the boardroom effectively. So one thing I'm really fascinated by that i've seen play out over and over again and i'm sure that you have as well is that this there's so many businesses start on this data analytics journey without that kind of strategic approach and if it's not got a strategic approach as a starting point then it's almost impossible for it to have the executive sponsorship right because there's nothing to tie tie them to it but yet we've seen, you know, how many organizations go and hire a team of data scientists and they all rummage around and try and find something of, of value. 
why why has that happened? Why is that being kind of a perpetual thing that just keeps happening over and over and over again when when we know, you know, that if this is going to be successful, it needs that executive sponsorship, they need to be involved, the business has to be included, etc. I know it's a mistake that I hear so many times and companies say, Well, we've spent time, money, effort. It's never worked. What will what will be different this time? But actually stop jumping in feet first. Stop grasping at those hype topics. For me, data is just a hype train. It's full of hype. All the words don't mean anything. If I go back to my data mesh example, data mesh is not new. It's old wine in new bottles. And everybody gets excited about this new thing that's coming out. Actually, it's not new at all. The internet is a data mesh. And how long have we had the internet? (laughs) So people need to stop getting excited about data. Go back and understand the problems and the challenges and having those good, solid, solid foundations of trusted, shareable, reusable data is really important. Yes, having that senior executive support works, but actually there is a way of doing it without the senior executive to start with. Find a problem in your organization and work out how you can solve that problem. Because if you've not got senior leadership support, which some organizations don't have, but you can see an opportunity. Go and find that problem, work out how you can solve it, work out what data is needed and who will benefit from that data being accurate and what activities and potentially what investment are needed to resolve that problem. Then go and present that to your senior leadership as this is what we could do if we had these trainings, this resource, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the value we could develop for our customers or the risk we could reduce. That's the way of doing it from a bottom up, not the easiest way. But it's an opportunity if you're so like-minded and you're really keen to, to present that kind of stuff to your senior leadership if they are dead against it, which I know some unfortunate senior leaderships are still against it and they don't get it. But mm. otherwise, don't jump in feet first. Don't say, right, we're going to do a full implementation of this. It's going to take us five years. And there's one of my other clients, which makes me giggle. They're doing, well, they couldn't change much more if they tried. The ways they're working the systems, the complete architecture, the processes, the training for people, it's just going to end in tears because Mm -hmm. you just can't change everything at once. We've said people fear change. So why try and do everything? Start small. What's that problem you want to solve? I often liken it to throwing a pebble into a pond. What's that first ripple? How can you demonstrate that first ripple of success to get the momentum, to get the next set of investment, to prove that things are working? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's still uh, still fascinating, isn't it, that we we're having these conversations. Um, obviously, I've been having these conversations far less than you have, Liz. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You've put up with it for so long, to be honest with you. But uh, but there you go. So. Um, I know from reading some of your stuff, you talk about the kind of the five whys of data. I think that's uh, be useful to kind of talk through because it starts to link all this together, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting because, again, it's that hype thing. Everybody wants to be data-driven, data-enabled, data-informed, whatever phrase you use. But why? Why do you want to be data-driven? What does that actually mean? And if you start working backwards, you can say we want to be data-driven because we want to achieve more revenue. Okay, how are you going to achieve more revenue? Well, we could personalize our service to our customers. So when you start to get to that three or four whys, 
you're now starting to think about, okay, what is it we actually want to achieve and what's the benefit? And for me, it's hanging your hat on those metrics. What is it you're going to do with customer customer personalization? Or we can work on this segment of customers and we can get some data and we can do these analytics and really think about what it is you want to achieve and demonstrate that's going to be successful. Because if you just say we want to be data driven, where's your metrics? What does success look like? And again, it's far too big to even where do you start? So focus that why, 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 without sounding like a two-year-old asking the question, um, and really get those metrics to demonstrate success and then work towards that. That would be my um, suggestion. Absolutely. In terms of the hype stuff that you talked about, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, most organizations, it starts and ends with, we want to be data-driven and often well, I think we can pretty much almost guarantee, given the fact that most don't start with a strategic approach, they they don't understand their why because they can't, right? Because they've not even thought about that part of it. But given all of the hype, I think, you know, it's easy to understand why businesses get sucked into certain things, right? There's a new shiny thing or a word or a tool or whatever it is that comes along seemingly every six months in our industry, right? That kind of professes to be the next silver bullet that, you know, CEOs love to buy because they think it's some kind of miracle shortcut, right? Um, but amidst all of that, when you're at a starting point and looking to get on this journey, you know, to be data driven or informed or whatever buzzwords we're using, um, how do you benchmark where you are actually at and know what the right starting point is? I love the fact that CEOs get driven by these nice shiny toys and then they question why have we wasted all this money? <laughs> maybe we just should dress data up as a shiny word and just say data quality is nice and shiny I don't know there's got to be something out there that we can do around that Mm. um benchmarking so this is something I'm working on at the moment to try and work out how we can benchmark organizations with some kind of key points for me the first one would be do you have a CDO do you have a chief data officer And it's all right, you can operate without one, but actually, would you operate without a chief financial officer, a senior HR person? So why would you operate without a chief data officer when you're saying that data is one of our key assets? You absolutely need somebody at that top table talking about data, because that is the key enabler for the organization. Without data, could you operate? So why would you not have a CDO? Is probably the question back to all these senior people. And really interestingly, um, just a a personal thing, I'm looking for a non-exec director role at the moment and looking through those non-exec director roles and what they're actually looking for, none of them ever say anything about data. It's really interesting. Finance, legal, HR, data is important for every organization. Why are they not looking for people on their board with that data experience? So it's not just the exec table is also the non-exec table that also needs to be convinced of data as well, I think. Mm. Then you want your data strategy. You want your one single data strategy for the entire organization, setting the direction, helping the organization understand where they want to go to, and most importantly, why they want to go there and what it's going to achieve, how it's going to enable the business strategy achievements, which is most important to the CEO. 
And then the next three elements that I've got are pretty interchangeable, not specifically in the order that I'm going to speak about them. But you need your data management with your data quality, your data catalog, your master data management, and your reference data management, because reference data management is just as important as master data management, which sometimes organizations forget. Then you need your metadata to be managed and owned. A lot of organizations leave their metadata as it is and don't properly own it and manage it like, say, customer services data or HR data, whatever it might be. Metadata is just as important and actually maybe more important because without that, you're losing a lot of information and context and insight on your data. And then your data literacy program, again, really important, the people side. You need to help your organization and your people understand the data, be curious, be challenging, and be confident. You don't just want to put a set of data in front of them or a dashboard and them to accept it. You want them to have the confidence to be able to challenge that dashboard and say, actually, is this data right? Are we sure this is right? Do we need to act on this or can we just ignore it? So giving them the confidence with that data literacy program, I feel, is really important. So there would be my five elements that you could benchmark yourself against. Hmm. Do you think that most organisations fundamentally understand why they are going through a lot of these projects and programs and initiatives in terms of the whole point of this is to help us make more informed decisions, which in turn turns into some kind of benefit, uh, you know, tangible business value? Or I sometimes wonder whether, you know, is all of the the talk around the data itself kind of, does that confuse us? And I know then we're going to get into literacy and storytelling and communication. <laughs> I know it's a never ending debate. It always leads from, you know, one roller coaster to the next, right? But um, I just sometimes wonder whether um, to, to the business people, is it, you know, is it all technicalities that they just kind of you know is, is kind of blurring the 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 lines of why they're even doing it in the first place i think the simple answer is no they don't get it but then why should they we don't get why we've probably got a crm system or a um, procurement forecasting system whatever it might be that's not necessarily relevant to what we're doing what's most important is understanding the bigger picture now i read a stat recently that the word data switches off 30 percent of people now, that is a real issue because data is everything and everywhere. But again, it's about making it relatable. You watch Netflix, you see the next box set. It's all run by data. The next product that pops up is the best one to buy in Amazon. It's all run by data. So if you help people understand that data is relatable in their, business, in their personal world, helps them understand what we need to achieve. But again, having that data strategy that provides that direction doesn't necessarily need to say we need to do X with data. It might just be we need to take an extra few seconds with each field when we're entering customer names and addresses because we need to get it right first time to give our customers a better service. That's not mentioning the word data in any way whatsoever, but it's making it relatable to customer services and what they do in their job. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've had, um, Scott Taylor on the show as a guest in previous seasons and I know he's a, a massive advocate of you know changing the language you know he talks about don't don't say data governance for goodness sake <laughs> just you know <laughs> that'll turn everyone off we need to find a, a better a better way of communicating which is which is interesting um one thing I want to go back to Liz is you spoke earlier around data as an asset right and um I'm having increasing number of conversations around 
the kind of the thought process of why don't organizations treat their data like they treat their other more tangible assets, let's say, right? Um, I think what's fascinated me as part of these conversations that I've had is often because of all of the you know terminology and lingo and jargon that we use, what I'm noticing is that when you know we're kind of talk, often talking about different things, you know, so you people say you know they'll say data as an asset or data assets, and some people are talk literally kind of comparing it to, you know, well your data is just as important as your building and it has a value whether you do anything with it or not. And then other people are more flippantly saying, well, yeah, of course data is an asset because if we do something with it, you get something out the other side, right? So I feel like we're in this conversation where people are talking about different things, but I think what you were referring to was the actual, you know it is an asset, it could be valued as such, et cetera. Um, you know, so in your mind, what, is that a hypothetical thing or is it an intangible asset, you know, a digital asset? I think at some point, and there's steps moving towards it, but I still think it's far too complicated at the moment, that data is a value on the um, profit and loss. I still think we're a long way from that because accounting standards have to change to allow that. But I think at some point in the future, the CFO will really understand that data is an asset to the organization. I mean, the simplest way to understand it is if all our customer data was deleted tomorrow, how would we operate as a business? So then you can understand that that data of customers' names and addresses is actually having value to the organization. And that's probably the easiest way to start thinking about is data an asset to the organization, what it's used for. Yeah, I guess I've been having a lot of these conversations based on a couple of clients that we're working with quite a, a large scale who are developing those types of services um, specifically into CFOs. So it's been it's been really interesting. Um, so yeah, fine. I guess obviously we've touched upon it, but most businesses are investing fairly heavily into some kind of data initiatives or strategy or data management programs or whatever the case may be. I guess if we were to leave here today and you wanted to kind of impart one piece of advice in terms of how they can do more to invest in the people component of that said data strategy, what, what would that, what would that nugget be? Oh, many organizations go tech first, CEOs, CIOs, they can see the investment in tech. It's real. They don't see the investment in people, but they see the failures because their data initiatives are not being successful. There was a recent survey that says that over 90% of organizations are investing in data, but 90% of organizations also see the principal challenge is with their people and their culture. So actually, is that investment wasted? Mm-hmm. So I would suggest taking a people-first approach. What is the problem you want to solve and how are the people involved in that problem? Not necessarily because they're creating the problem, but how can they help the problem? How can they do something better to help the problem be removed, go away, get better? And then think about what technology do you need after you understand the people element and the process element. So think people first. Um, yeah, I was going to give you another example, but I'm not sure if we're out of time. No, no, no. We've got a couple couple of minutes if you want to if you want to throw it in there. So one of my clients actually trying to create data mesh and they've gone the tech first. They're really tech first. They've got the engineers working on it. And the business are 
yeah, okay, they're giving it lip service. They had a presentation from Gartner a few weeks ago and the light bulb suddenly went on. Oh, we're not looking after our people. How do we get the people involved? That's why we're not being very successful. And it's having that light bulb moment, but looking at it from a people point of view, because ultimately technology is great, but who's going to use the technology? The people. You need to get your people on board. Data is a people sport at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, Liz, thank you very much for your time. Um, we really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to uh, impart your wisdom on us. And um, yeah, we we'll very much look forward to um, seeing how the rest of your career banging the drum unfolds. Thanks, Carl. It's been an absolute pleasure. Speak soon. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.